Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Adapt This, a DC Animated Universe podcast. For this episode, I am joined by my friend and super talented graphic designer, Lisa, as we experience what is regarded as the greatest Superman story ever told, All-Star Superman. That's right, folks. We are doing back-to-back Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly collaborations, and we couldn't be more excited to do so. We were also excited here at Adapt This Studios that even my dog Rusty had some opinions on the matter, which were quite valid, so we didn't cut any of them, even if we didn't acknowledge them at the time of recording. Anyway, All-Star Superman, the book, was written by Grant Morrison and illustrated by Frank Quietly, with colors and inks by Jamie Grant. It ran from November of 2005 to October of 2008, and like I said, is regarded as the greatest Superman story ever told in comic books. The movie itself goes by the same name, All-Star Superman, and was adapted by Dwayne McDuffie, uh, directed by Sam Liu, and released on February 22nd, 2011, which is actually one day before the unfortunate and untimely death of Dwayne McDuffie which is something we talk about a little bit in the, in the show. The movie stars James Denton, Christina Hendricks, Anthony LaPaglia, and among many others. So without further delay, let's fire up that theme song and let's jump right into All-Star Superman. All right, let's start. Let's do this. Let's get this show on the road. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Greg. Thank you for coming on the second episode. I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you here. This is so. This is going to be um, interesting because the first episode that we did was actually by the same creative team. So for this episode, I should probably say we are doing All Star Superman. We read the book, we watched the movie, Uh, All-Star Superman was written by Grant Morrison and drawn by Frank Quietly, who are both like an awesome creative team. And the movie is also called All-Star Superman and is actually adapted by Dwayne McDuffie. An interesting thing about this movie, this movie came out one day after Dwayne McDuffie died. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he, um, I think it was medical reasons. Like he, it was very unfortunate, very sudden. He was only in his 50s. Um, He adapted a lot of different DC properties. He also wrote a lot of different DC and created some things. Like he created Static Shock, for example. Okay. Which is really cool. Very good work. So it's going to be really interesting for me because coming like fresh off of Earth 2 and how different those were, the movie has nothing to do with the book. This is going to be a lot different, as we'll find out. So um, let's start with the standard. Why did you choose this book, Lisa? So I chose this one because it's been on my list for a very long time. Okay. Um, And by my list, I'm a very big Superman fan. So I'm trying to just watch all of the animated movies that are out. Um, And this one, I believe I heard of when it came out because Matthew Gray Goobler is the voice of Jimmy Olsen. And if you don't know, he's actually um, Dr. Spencer Reed in Criminal Minds. Ah. So I really am a big fan of the goobs. So <laughs> the I really goobs. wanted to see this 
movie and it gave me the push that I needed. That's what I do. I just push people into watching things mm -hmm. and reading things. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to go um, into the book. We usually kind of go a little deeper page by page. However, this is a 12 issue run and I don't want to be sitting here until three o'clock in the morning. Me neither. Good. So what we'll do is we'll go issue by issue and we'll kind of dive in. If there's something that maybe you want to gloss over, we'll go ahead and just do so. Uh, we start off All-Star Superman with the origin of Superman. Mm -hmm. Literally one page, four panels, four text boxes, six words. No, seven words. Really? You counted the words? I just awesome. did it, I think. Happy. Two, four, six, eight. Sorry, eight. I can count. Eight words. So it goes Doomed Planet, Desperate Scientist, Last Hope, Kindly Couple. Mm -hmm. That is the entire... Like, so when it says Doom Planet, it shows Krypton exploding or about to explode. Desperate Scientist shows, um, I can't remember. Jor-El and Lara. Both kind of looking off as the world's exploding around them. And then you have Last Hope, which is Clark taking off with all the debris of Krypton, all the kryptonite kind of chasing him. And then Kindly Couple, we have Jonathan and Martha Kent kind of finding Clark. And then it just kind of really goes into this really cool action scene where... It just like the book wastes no time into getting us going, yeah. right? It's just kind of like, all right, cool. You want Superman? Here's Superman. And this is actually, this book is widely regarded as the greatest Superman story ever written. Really? I'm yeah. glad I picked it. Yeah, me too. So it, it has a bunch of scientists kind of like on a solar mission trying to gather a lot of this energy and it being ultimately sabotaged by Lex Luthor in that typical Lex Luthor kind of way. And what I really like about this is what we'll find out a little bit later is Lex has to time his actions perfectly because there's a nine minute delay between what he does and what actually happens with that um, the, the mutant that he kind of like overwrote. Yeah, so going going through this, do you want to depict out, oh, I guess it does show it because I'm examining the artwork a little bit more yeah. here on the on the um the page and you can see that it was a scientist who is actually exploding and becoming a monster that is controlled by Lex. That's right. Um, the movie back from the earth. The movie had it different. The movie was it was one of the creations of uh the scientist. Yeah, it was yeah. it was just a little bit different in the movie and it showed like <laughs> Uh, the actual like expansion happening yeah. of the, the guy, the body. And it's slow it too. It's like a, the first one is kind of like a little bit of a tear. And then he gets these weird like tendrils coming out of him that are glowing like that kryptonite green. Mm -hmm. And then he just turns into this like, I don't even know how to describe. So we're going to start this one off early. This is a bit that I like called describe that monster. <laughs> so what we're going to do is uh, you're going to take your best shot at trying to describe what this monster looks like because we're in audio format, so no one really knows what he looks like. And then I will do that as well, the same. Um, all right. So I would describe this as a grayish blob with mm -hmm. lots of lumps and but pretty humanoid in terms of his body shape. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, he's got six like spires out of his back with it looks like green kryptonite laser type things coming out of it. I'm going to say he looks like a zombie that was bloated and left out on the beach for way too long. And also the person who became that zombie was going bald. Mm, that's um, way better. Like he, in Walking Dead when yeah. they're in the water for a long time. 
He has like no lips whatsoever. And he's got these like, I'll call them like mini volcanoes as his like spikes. I like it. It's kind of what they look like. And they're like emerging from skin flaps. And of course, the green kryptonite little like beams coming out. I actually really like the reveal that it is Lex controlling him because it happens, you know, a little a couple scenes later. Um, so from there, we kind of have like Superman come swooping in to save the day, but he doesn't yet. The scene actually cuts to the Daily Planet where we see Lois um, making writing her headline. And this is actually a really cool little character detail. Something I really like about Grant Morrison and that I've been picking up the more I've been reading his stuff is he has he's about the minor details, which can get lost in an adaptation. So I'm glad this one kind of made it through. She writes her headlines before Superman actually completes the objective. Right. Which is kind of smart if you think about like Clark Kent is Superman and he's always like getting the scoop because he's writing his own articles. So the only way you can really beat Superman to the punch is while he's doing it. Yeah. And so we have Cat Grant kind of checking out the... uh, the window, window washer, washer making some uh, entendres and double entendres. And, and like this, this scene is just very funny because Lois is trying to figure out how large the sun is. So all she says is, I said, how big is it? And Cat Grant is staring at the junk of the window washer, who's like probably, I want to say 18 to 23 years old. Like he's a young dude. He's like probably like a college <laughs> dude. just Right. And she goes. I have no idea, Lois, dear. I'd say quite literally enormous from where I'm standing. So the next thing we have, we have what I was talking about earlier, where Lex is timing out his movements perfectly. Like, I don't really like scientists Lex Luthor a lot, but I really do like this interpretation because he's not like crazy scientist. He's very like calculating. Yes, I agree. Which is the best kind of Lex Luthor. It's Michael Rosenbaum Lex Luthor. Yes. And that's the best Lex Luthor. It really is. They should just get him for all the movies. That's what they really should do. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, now I want to talk about Supergirl, but I don't think you watch Supergirl. <laughs> I haven't watched the past five episodes of any of the DC CW shows. Okay. Because I just don't care anymore. Well, we'll, we'll have to save that for another podcast. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, anyways, so um, we, we're, we'll just kind of rush through this. We have Superman kind of uh, swooping in to actually save the day against this like zomb- bloated zombie kind of guy and this is really the beginning of the end for superman yes right so at this point we kind of see like the zombie explode and they don't really make a big spectacle out of this but superman flies away and all of a sudden he is tethering the spaceship that the scientists are on with his aura which is brand new for superman yes the only call out to it is the one of the scientists on the ship's on the ship saying, Superman is shielding us by extending his own bioelectric field. It seems impossible. Um, and then an- the other main scientist is, only nothing is impossible, Flora. And I am blanking on his name right now. But he's one of the main It's characters. like Quint- Quintum or something Quintum, like that. yeah. Because yeah. I always wanted to say quantum. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. So they kind of go through, everyone's safe. And all of a sudden, Superman is finding that he's stronger than he was. Like, he can see things that were smaller than he could previously see. Like things are just kind of out of whack. And um, Quintum, I almost call him Quantum. Quintum says, yeah, you're like, cells are exploding, essentially. They're all like mini supernovas going off. And Superman's like, yeah, I can can see that. Like how crazy is that where you can see your own cells exploding? Yeah, to just zoom in on your biology and just, oh, that's crazy. 
And he's like not even phased. Nope. He's he, taking it very casually, very coolly. He does like a lot in this book is very is taken very casually, except for one thing, which we'll get to in a couple issues. So he, he has to rush back to the Daily Planet because he's going to get fired. <laughs> yep. Perry's like, if he's not here in four or in 10 seconds, that's a, it. There's a very dramatic countdown as Clark rushes back to the Daily Planet and saves a child with a dog. Mm-hmm. And and then he like catches a coffee cup and then still makes it back on time. What's really funny, though, is Perry gives him 10 seconds, but counts down from three. Oh, really? I didn't notice. Yeah, that. he says Clark Kent is fired in 10 seconds. It shows the kid about to get hit by the car, or the truck with the dog. And then he goes three, two. So he does all of that in three seconds. Yeah. And that's that's pretty classic Perry. Like that's a blink and you miss it kind of thing. And this is where we really kind of see that this was Lex's plan all along. Right. It cuts to Lex being like, I'm I've killed Superman. There's a little bit like of an epilogue for the last page, which I really like because it shows how much Clark has to put on to be Clark Kent instead of being Superman and how casually he is about being a fumbling idiot. And actually saving someone in the process. Yeah, the my favorite um, parts of all of these issues, it's the little things where he's in the middle of something else and he's saving someone. Yeah, yeah. so like this one is we have Clark and Lois crossing the road and he actually bumps into a guy who ends up like calling him an idiot and he's kind of cursing him out. And it turns out that Clark did it so like a muffler doesn't fall on his head. Yeah, so he would have been toast if Clark hadn't bumped into him. This whole issue ends on Clark going, Lois, I have to tell you something. And he does that typical like about to turn to Superman, like rips off like the buttons of his shirt and it has a Superman S. Yep. And then she drops her groceries. She drops her groceries. The classic dropping of the groceries. Which is kind of funny that she does that because literally issue two is I don't believe you're Clark Kent. Yeah. Like this whole comic. She's like, you're not Clark Kent. This is what you get for impersonating Clark Kent. Which is very fun. So I can't tell. And I don't know like what you think, but I can't tell if she's just kidding or not. No, she's serious because you, you, you think so. No, because, yeah, at the at the end, when we get to a later issue. Yeah. OK, well, bring it up then. Yeah. But I, this whole time, even like when I was watching, because I was hoping uh, Christina Hendricks, who voiced Lois in this, uh, I was hoping she would like give me a little bit of something. And I was like, I really can't tell if she's being serious or if she's just like goofing around. Um, and I'll bring up a little bit later why I think she's goofing around a little bit. But we have Lois uh, in her car being flown to the Fortress of Solitude. This is one of those little classic little details that Grant Morrison really likes. Like Grant Morrison, generally his writing, and I, I believe he really likes the older Superman stories, like the older ridiculous stories. So Clark or Superman picks up a small gold key and it unlocks yep. the fortress solitude. She goes, what happened to like the 10 foot one? And he's like, Oh, you know, that was a little too large. And the key that he has is actually, what did he say? It's, it's heavier than it looks. Yeah. It's built from like a dwarf star. I think he said it's made from a super dense, dwarf star material in weighs half a million tons. So his key weighs half a million tons. He actually puts it on the ground for Lois to try to pick up. And she yep. can't do it. She cannot do it. No one can do it. We catch a glimpse of the Fortress of Solitude in a pretty gorgeous two-page two spread. There's a lot of little things going on. Like you have actually um, Batman's Joker Penny. 
You have the chessboard that was, I was on an issue of something that I can't think of right now. Um, you have the Superman robots walking around. You see the bottled city of Candor. The whole room has a backdrop of the Titanic. And of course, the um, Columbia spaceship. So he's got a lot of like memorabilia. And actually, blink and you miss it, a time sphere on the right-hand side. I, I missed it. Yeah, I did too until I just looked at it. Uh, probably because that's usually where my thumb is. That's when exactly I'm where my the book. thumb is. Yeah. So the time sphere, and for those of you who don't know, that is Rip Hunter's primary way of going through time, as well as Booster Gold, who I both love very, very much. So I'm very, I'm very glad that's in there. Uh, from here, we have Lois Lane kind of taking a little shower, getting cleaned off, um, really getting romanced by Clark. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned is that it's Lois's birthday. So he's trying to make it a pretty special day for her. So he's kind of given her the tour. He shows her like his arsenal, like all the stuff that can kill him. He shows like all the trophies that he has. And then he goes past this like a gold hologram. What Superman tells her is this is how he communicates with his descendants. So the first one they talk to is Cal Kent. Um, the Man of Steel of Tomorrow for the year 853,450 AD. He shows her his pet uh, star eater, essentially, or sun eater. Sun eater, Sun yep. eater, more specifically. I like that he had uh, a little pet. It's a little baby it's a little sun pet. eater, a little baby. And then Lois sees something interesting. Typical Lois wandering off. Wandering off. Like Batman's feeding his pet and Lois is like, oh, what's up? What's what's going on over here? What's going on here? You just said Batman. Did I say Batman? You just said Batman's feeding his pet. Superman's feeding his I'm pet. I'm ashamed. <laughs> Superman's feeding his pet. I had a long day at work. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> Superman is feeding his pet and Lois kind of wanders off. What does Lois see? Lois sees some layouts of her mm-hmm. and skeletons. Mm-hmm. And then the robot just at a bunch of computer screens. And with, then there's some, some chemistry. funky yeah. mist going on. Yeah. A little chemistry going on there. Yep. And I'm not just talking about between Superman and Lois. <laughs> they kind of finish their little like date night. Clark's wearing this weird robe, yeah. which I still don't get. I don't get it either. I, I was know. very put off by it. And they're having the date on the Titanic. Oh, my gosh. Which is pretty funny. And you start seeing things through her eyes, and it's very, like, black and white and sketchy and gray tones. It's not color what she's seeing. Yep. All that little smoke or whatever that she was, that we saw, she inhaled and kind of had an adverse effect. Yeah. So it basically, after they finish dinner, she goes on her own and she's typing on her computer. You know, she's looking a little disheveled and she's having a lot of inner dialogue yeah um with herself about what's going on why is she here what yeah. was in that room and yeah. and all of that until she really just like starts freaking out on herself and she starts thinking that like clark is up to no good and she's superman star- cuz she doesn't clark. believe that's that true. it's clark that's true she's i still don't know if she's kidding or not not at this point. Well, actually, did that part already happen? <laughs> so there, there's... Um, yeah, they talked about it at dinner. She, yeah. she ran him through the ringer of tests. How'd you do this? How'd you do that? I saw oh, yeah, Superman that, and Clark right. at the same time. Yeah. And he says, though, I had Batman stand in. Oh, I had a Superbot stand in. Which, that doesn't make sense that Batman would stand in. Batman stood in as Superman. Right. So Bruce Wayne is running around without a mask on, dressed up as Superman. 
Yeah, that's true. That was just like, you could have literally chose anyone else. That does not sound like Bruce Wayne to me. Yeah, so wait, would... Yeah, I don't even know how that would have worked then. So, like, the only way I can think of that working is, like, he's up on a rooftop and someone's like, oh, there's Superman. Yeah. But you literally could have just had a, like, that distance. You could have had a scarecrow and have the same effect. That's very true. So, I don't know. You pick up the subtleties, Greg. That's what I do. That was part of it. was kind of like, really? That's kind of lazy, but whatever. Uh, so, she's really freaking out. She's running through. She's kind of um, ru- running around. And she gets back to the hologram. And she goes, hello, Cal Kent, right? And then we see this other Superman who looks like a mummified Superman, kind of, with a big question mark on his chest instead of the Superman S. And he says he's the unknown Superman of uh, 4,500 AD. And he's kind of like, he's, he's like he's static. It seems like he's like a dangerous kind of Superman based on how he looks and based on the fact that they're static. And Cal didn't really have that. So Lois grabs the kryptonite gun. And this is like where I think the book is a lot better than the movie. She goes in down this corridor and it's like red and like singeing from the door says, keep out Superman at work. And it looks very menacing. It does. It looks kind of crazy. And she's just like, he's got to stop. He's a monster. And the door opens and she blasts Superman. And this is where we learn that Superman's no longer affected by kryptonite. No more than a tickle anyways. And then she kind of snaps out of it. She goes, oh, no, like, what did I do? What's going on? And all of a sudden, the corridor seems a little less menacing. And he's like, oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Like, Robot 7 left the door open. The chemicals got into your system, and it just caused temporary paranoia. Here's your birthday present. Lisa, what's her birthday present? So yeah. the birth, the big birthday reveal is a super suit that a very special sewing machine was Putting together using, let me find it, diamond-tipped needles to weave light, indestructible thread. Hmm. Why would Lois need such an outfit? I don't know. You tell me. Because Clark and his robot friends, or Superman and his robot friends, have synthesized a superpower in liquid form cocktail for Lois to drink, which gives her superpowers for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So... As any person would, she's super excited. <laughs> that was a great pun. How how long ago did you think of that pun? Uh, not long ago. <laughs> I'm just that witty that yeah. it just rolls out. Lisa, why don't you take us through issue three? So we start off by there being trouble right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and Superman is apologizing to Lois that... He didn't want there to be much trouble on her birthday, didn't want to really deal with anything major. And she's like, are you kidding me? I'd feel gypped. Mm -hmm. So they're going off to fight. It's like a lizard person. Yeah, lizard from the underverse of the earth. So they just arrive to take care of the lizard when we see someone else is already taking care of the problem. And it's Samson. I hate this guy. I love hate this this guy. Love to hate him. Yep. I love to hate him so much. Um, I haven't seen much of Samson, so I had the same reaction to him in this. But also, if anyone gets in between Superman and Lois, I instantly hate them. Well, this is the, this is the big thing too, right? Where this is where the only time we really see Superman show any sort of emotion. That's true. Is when someone's like trying to hit on his lady. Yep. Which is very interesting. He, him dying. 
cool as a cucumber. Someone like making a slight pass at Lois, forget it. He will not stand for it. No. And you know what, gentlemen, that's what the ladies want from their <laughs> man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they, they're fighting, right? Yeah, so yeah. they're fighting, but uh, Samson throws the the leader of the lizard pack, mm-hmm. which is what I've just deemed them, mm-hmm. throws him into outer space. Superman just being such a like a good person. Yeah. He flies up into outer space to go rescue um, the leader of the lizard pack. And that leaves Samson and Lois alone for him to uh, put the moves on her. The real moves. The real moves. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, find out that Atlas is hanging out with Samson as well. So while Samson was taking care of the leader, Atlas was taking care of the rest of the lizard pack. The like the way these two characters are designed too. It's like very interesting. So Samson and for those of you who don't know, Samson and Atlas at are time travelers. So Samson has this really long like Fabio flowing hair, definitely got like an olive kind of skin tone to him. And Atlas has the same skin tone, but he's got this like weird red blonde neck beard <laughs> chin strap chin if you strap will. <laughs> going on and he's got like this really shaggy kind of hair what's really cool about um their designs is samson's a little more streamlined he's just got your typical spandex with almost like a gun holster looking top i call it a man bra yeah man bra works man i think bra. for an accurate description yeah and then um atlas actually has the world on his shoulder not on his back but like on his like upper right breast slash shoulder. And he has got like the wrestling championship belt going on, blue spandex and a green cape. We don't see their full bodies in many panels, but yeah. there is one at the end of a page. Um, Superman's coming back and walking up to the two of them. And uh, he definitely looks like he's, you know, strutting, puffing his chest out because he he's walking is. up to these two men next to oh, Lois. Oh, he absolutely is. And you see that Atlas is not wearing anything on his feet. I, I bet Superman's voice got a little deeper, too. It probably. It definitely did. So they're all kind of like talking. They're all um, they're all flirting with Lois, essentially. A lot. A lot of flirting with Lois going on. And Lois is eating it up. She's egging it on completely. And that bothers Clark. Oh, yeah. Or Superman, I should say. Because she doesn't believe that he's Clark Kent. She she doesn't. So we go back down into the subterranean world of the lizard people. The underverse, as they call it. And we see Clark kind of trying to figure out, or Superman trying to figure out what's going on. Samson really kind of brandishing a very shiny, very bright necklace. And puts it on Lois. And, the, you know, it could be lethal, but Lois has her 24 hours of superpowers. This next part we're going to do our voice acting theater for. So I'll be Superman. I'll be Atlas. Uh, Lisa will be Lois and Lisa will be Samson. Samson. Cool. So I'm the characters with the long hair and Greg is the characters with the I short hair. I did not hair. even pick that up. <laughs> but that is accurate. Just, uh, just for a visual depiction. Just helping out. <laughs> so we have um, this, this next scene has... Uh, Superman and Samson talking to each other. And Superman starts off with, I don't like you very much, Samson. Wherever you go, trouble follows. What do I have to do to keep your hands off my girl? 
I'm a time traveler, Superman. According to my sources, she won't be your girl for too much longer. And at this point, Samson takes out uh, a newspaper. from the, It's a daily planet. And it's obviously from the future. And it says, Superman dead. Big, bold letters. Well designed, too. In fact, it looks like she'll be needing a shoulder to cry on soon enough. All's fair in love and war. And he, he says that with a smirk. He does. Yeah. Oh, that's a big smirk. <laughs> okay. And we'll figure... Hold on, I need a more manly voice. Yeah. And we'll figure you'll soon be... Oh, go deeper. And we'll... Fi- I can't. You can go. Yeah, get in there. <laughs> and we'll figure you're... You'll soon... I can't do you'll. you'll. And we figure you'll soon be way too busy with your challenge to even think about dating. Forget it, Samson. Lois and I have an appointment in Poseidon's at 3.30 mid-Pacific time. What's going on, Atlas? Is this part of my birthday surprise? Oh, I can't wait to do his once. There was something we neglected to mention. The Ultra Sphinx? This monster has hounded us like a fury since we uh, borrowed the jewels of Atom Hotep. Just before your death, it said... (laughs) I'm trying so hard. (laughs) Just before your death, it said you completed 12 super challenges, the stuff of legend. You created life. You escaped from the underverse. You overthrew the tyrant sun. And you answered the unanswerable question. What? Superman? What? What is this? And then, so while that's kind of going on, we see this light kind of shining brighter and brighter from, I think it's radiating from the necklace and it just gets really bright and then we see the uh what do they call them the ultra sphinx the ultra sphinx what a ridiculous name yeah what's worse than a sphinx an ultra sphinx is very hairy very very hairy so we have the ultra sphinx holding lois by the necklace actually and the word bubbles here are kind of crazy so he says return what was stolen and pay the price and we we'll cut back to Superman, who's just like, Lois, no! Halt. She exists now in a condition of quantum uncertainty. Neither alive nor dead. To answer correctly is life. Failure to answer correctly is death. This is my judgment. And now we have Clark, or Superman, glaring at Samson and Atlas and his eyes are red mm. and he says you two morons stole that necklace didn't you we we didn't mean for this to happen don't you understand we couldn't fight the ultra sphinx without help so so we let it here we tricked you superman but i swear to living zeus we meant no harm to lois lane I swear, too. If she dies, you're both on a one-way ticket to the Phantom Zone. Superman, if it goes wrong, if we have to fight, Atlas and I will stand by your side. And what's really cool about that is, like, that first part of that line is they're they're ashamed. Mm-hmm. Like, Frank Quietly does a great job at drawing facial expressions, and they're just like, shit, we, we fucked up. Yeah. And then um, that second part where it's Atlas and I will stand by your side. They're kind of like 
coming together as like a group kind of almost, but not really. Yeah. It's a really cool um, frame in the yeah. comic. And there's like, you can see the glowing light from the Ultra Sphinx necklace shining on them. So the coloring is very cool. Yeah, well. it is. And Superman says, we won't have to fight. and You know it. If you're right, I'll find an answer to this question. Whatever it is, let's hear it. And this is like one of my favorite parts in the book in the whole like take in the whole 12 issues. So the Sphinx says, question, what happens when the unstoppable force meets the immovable object? And Superman thinks, and he looks at Lois, who's like passed out. And then all of a sudden, he's like realizing something. Her eyes open and he chuckles. And he goes, how about this? They surrender. And the Ultra Sphinx says, response acceptable and she's free and she's free and she's free so at this point superman wins he doesn't even have to fight and (laughs) stupid samson and atlas are just like that doesn't prove anything anyone could have done that (laughs) so they get challenged to an arm wrestling fight and superman takes on both of them at the exact same time and breaks both of their arms which is hilarious. Yup. Deserved it. He actually breaks Samson's arm first. And then I think he breaks at both of Atlas's arms. So that tells me that Atlas didn't accept defeat the first go around. Oh, it does. That's a good. Yeah. So he's like, no, nah, it's fine. I'm fine, bro. I'm fine. Let's do it Let's with do the other it. arm. Let's do it. It's so funny. And the other really funny thing and why I like this so much is we actually, and this is a little more obvious in the movie. We actually find out how Superman knows that answer is because it's an advertisement for a car. Yeah. We see that on the last panel of this um, issue. Yep. Um, at the very closing. But otherwise, in the in the in the movie, it's much more. obvious. It's like, yeah, it's like Samson pulls out that newspaper where Superman's dead and he's immediately like you see it on the back of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, OK, I see it. Um before Lois's powers run out, run off, they have their date with Poseidon. Um, they go to the moon. They have a very well-drawn makeout session, <laughs> essentially, on the moon. They go back down. All of her powers fade. I like that she says, I can't hear Jimmy's annoying watch anymore, <laughs> which is really funny. Yep. Um, I think also in the movie, Lex makes a dig at that, too. The watch, yeah. The watch. Like, everyone's just making digs at the yeah. stupid watch that no one really likes. Lois passes out. Superman tucks her in. And that was her birthday. What an epic birthday. What a great birthday. I wish I had a birthday like that. I'll work on it. <laughs> Thanks. Give me some superpowers. This next issue is a little bit of a... I don't even, like, it's, it's like filler, almost. So something they, they kind of mention is they go, well, Superman has all of these tasks he's he's going to perform before he dies. And this is one of those tasks. And all that we're going to because we're like, really, we're really taking our time in the beginning. We're going to run through this very quickly. Unless you want to unless no. you really like this issue, because I didn't like there's some like this. Book, I'm, I'm good with you reading your two sentence. We read my two sentence. <laughs> this sentence is what happens gap. in issue four. They discover black kryptonite. Black Kryptonite turns Superman into an asshole, essentially. Yep. He's basically opposite. He's opposite. Uh, 
In order to take him on, Jimmy turns himself into Doomsday. He was also given the keys to uh, Dr. Quintum's lab. Mm-hmm. So he's got that stupid, colorful jacket that oh, he's always yes. wearing. Actually, I was just going to point out the yeah. most important detail that you guys cannot see visually. Yeah. Um, we didn't mention that Dr. Quintum wears a rainbow right. jacket that you can tell by the coloring. It's supposed to be like reflective yeah. and just very douchebaggy. It's so douchebaggy. And Jimmy puts it on and he all throughout this whole book, he's wearing some crazy outfits and he's just being a crazy, j- crazy yeah. Jimmy. But he is rocking this rainbow jacket and he is loving to wear it. The one thing I really like that they make a dig at is Jimmy um, turns into Doomsday, saves the day, takes the jacket, and his girlfriend is like, won't that won't Quintum miss that jacket? And he goes, no, he has 365 of these. This douchebag has a different jacket of the exact same kind for every day of the year. Yeah. It's so stupid. It's so ridiculous. I like I wish I had that. Um, cool. So issue five is kind of the big one. And I think a lot of people really think about this um, when they're thinking of All-Star Superman. And the movie really kind of focused on this quite a bit. Clark interviews Lex in prison. So at this point, like Lex's plan is still kind of going through. Uh, We're not going to go as crazy into detail into this one either, but it has a very like science of the lambs kind of feel almost. I agree with that. Yeah. Where Lex, this is where we learn that Lex blames Superman for himself not curing cancer, not saving humanity, not doing all these things. And this is actually something that gets echoed a lot in Brian Azzarello's Luthor, or I think it's called Luthor book, where you see Superman through Lex's eyes and he does not look great. Like he looks like a monster. Like Lex legitimately thinks Superman is to blame for humanity suffering. Yeah. And it's just like, it makes sense why Lex hates Superman so much when once you see that read that book or you read this issue yeah because it really just makes you be like oh well that's why he thinks it it doesn't make sense no it doesn't but it makes sense to lex and that's why he thinks that well he is he is a very like and like i've like lex luthor is probably one of my favorite dc villains because he's he's got this like jealous big brother syndrome almost where he was the hero until Superman showed up. Yeah, and that's the classic middle child syndrome. Yeah. If um Greg, are you in the middle with no. your siblings? I'm no. The oldest. You're the oldest. Yeah. I'm the baby. Yeah. But I know that it was like that for my brother who was in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of like interesting to really think about it that way. So this is Lex's rationality. If you fall off of a building and Superman catches you. What's going to stop you from falling off that building again? Like, there's no consequence to that. It's not you're dead or you broke your arm or you broke your leg. It's, oh, who cares? So in his mind, people are getting lazier. People are getting dumber. People are getting uh, more reliant on an outside force. And that's halting human progress in his mind. Which. You can make an argument. for. Yeah, that's what I was. For sure. I'm like debating internally here. You can make an argument for it, but that I just, it's not really in human nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, Lex is crazy. Yes. So there's that. Facts. But like he, he's very articulate and he's very good at kind of like, 
like getting you to see his point. He's interviewing Clark. Clark's being a bumbling idiot. Clark's uh, rescues him from being <laughs> being electrocuted, and they're kind of going through. And then it turns out Parasite is actually in this prison. And for those of you at home who don't know who Parasite is, Parasite is kind of like Rogue from X-Men. And if you don't know who Rogue from X-Men is, their powers are essentially they absorb powers from other beings for a temporary amount of time. What's interesting about this Parasite is he can sense all of the energy. So he takes one look at Clark and he's just like, oh, you. And it's not just Clark. It's like super radiated Clark who has all these new powers and stuff like that. And they haven't really started the fade yet. So... Parasite just gets bigger and bigger and bigger just by being around Clark. And that's when he realizes, I got to get the hell out of here. There's this whole riot that happens. Tear gas is going through. Clark disappears into the tear glass. Lex is like, what are you doing? That's tear gas. You're an idiot. Stop. Clark turns into Superman real quick, gets all the guards out, and comes back to save Lex's life from the riot. They find a secret hidden uh, passageway. So Lex pretty much Shawshank Redemptioned, essentially, with a robot reciting what did, what were they reciting moby dick moby dick yes that's like the funny <laughs> it's such a funny line yeah it's like did you know uh moby dick recited at a certain decibel can tear through rock and he carved like a whole cavernous escape out of his cell one thing i do want to point out i kind of was rushing through it we really see lex being ridiculous in this one also his eyebrows are drawn on yeah it's kind of funny. Yeah, which they don't show in the movie, I don't think. No, they don't. That's, that's a detail they kind of gloss by. So Superman kind of, or Clark kind of like fakes an earthquake and Parasite gets trapped in there. And Lex is just like, you thought you could threaten me. You thought you could do, I am Lex Luthor. No one does this to me. And he like beats the shit out of Parasite. Yeah, he goes crazy. It is ridiculous. Um. Anyways, they, they go through down that tunnel. Lex draws, uh, they meet up with his niece. Lex draws on his other eyebrow, and it's like a ridiculous looking eyebrow. Yeah, it's like one of those, um, oh, I can't I can't think of how to describe it's it. It's like the but... rocks, people's, the people's eyebrow, but like very thin. Yes. So it, like very old lady in her yeah. 80s who draws on all her eyebrows. Like very like Cruella DeVille-ish. Yes. Cruella but like his other one is completely fine. Yep. So it just looks like he's like suspicious all the time too. Uh, his niece kind of takes Clark off to safety. And that's the jailbreak. And what's really interesting is Lex doesn't leave prison. He doesn't. He stays there. Issue six is actually my favorite issue out of all of them. We'll kind of breeze through it really quickly. But essentially, it, go, it takes us back to a time when it's a younger Superman. And he's out playing with his dog. And his parents are alive. Or his dad's still alive. And Cal Kent the unknown Superman and like a Mixie's Plitlick Superman yeah. Superman from the fifth dimension uh, shows up and they fight the, what's called the chronovore. And I can't even begin to describe what the chronovore is. It like eats time, but it doesn't make sense. It's design. It's like this cloud of oh. looks like a cloud of brains and eyeballs. Yeah. With mat with mouths and chicken legs and chicken talons. It's weird. Anyways, they fight it. It eats three minutes, which is just enough time for Superman to not rescue his father. What's interesting is the unknown Superman does not fight the chronovore. 
he actually stays behind and he's still wrapped up all mummy like but he's got like a blazer on he's got a polo on and he's got some like some slacks and he just kind of has this really nice heart-to-heart moment with uh jonathan kent what you find out and this is this works on a whole bunch of different levels they well they attend uh pa kent's funeral and the unknown superman unravels his uh bandages and it's just superman so superman before he died got to see his father one last time and they had a really nice moment and i think that's just really cool i think that's just like a really beautiful issue yeah it was very touching and anyone who's watched like smallville or anything mm-hmm. like you have a real connection to clark and his love of his parents yeah so it was really nice to see that in the comic it's, it's one of those things where like we'll talk about it in a minute but they don't do a lot in the movie just because why would you it's, it's filler but this is one of those things that just like really mattered to me so i was kind of bummed that they didn't have that what i want us to take a step back into is the first time that we met the unknown superman and he asked lois who is j-lo yeah knowing full well who Jennifer Lopez is. Yep. And now we know <laughs> why he asked that. Well, kind of not really, I guess why, but we know that he was just messing with her. Just Lois. messing with her. It's so funny. It's ridiculous. Um, issue seven and eight are just the invasion of Bizarro Earth. So it gets Superman off Earth. There's all these Bizarros kind of attacking, and there's not really much of a point to it, in my opinion. Well, yeah, the the point of it is that this is why, towards the end, like, why he was gone from Earth for so long. For months. Yeah. Yeah. That's literally, it was two issues of that. And it was some cool stuff in there. It turns out that, like, one, or not 1%, but less than 1% of every Bizarro or on Bizarro World is, like, a normal-ish person. Yeah, it was, like, one in every five million or something. Something ridiculous like, it like that, It was a ridiculous yeah. number. Yeah. Um, and Clark has to leave him behind, unfortunately, but that's also how he gets off of that planet. So we come back to Superman returning to Metropolis to find that it has been infused with Kryptonian tech um, as he's been gone for about two months. Yeah. There are some new Kryptonians that he finds out from Lois that when he goes back to the Daily Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are Lilo and Bar L. And Stitch. I mean, Bar L. What? what? <laughs> um, so these were some scientists from Krypton. So he goes over to meet them and talk to them because he's, you know, he's actually really excited. You can tell from their first interaction. Mm. Um, he goes up to them and he's just like, you, Do you need any help? Can I help you? And they just immediately start by insulting him. Yeah, they're not nice people. They do not acknowledge him, and they just insult him right away. They're very pompous. Very pompous. Like, I imagine they talk, they talk. Oh, let me move my microphone up here. They talk a little like this with their nose up in the air, and they're like, mm, Superman, I see you and your pedantic things. Or, you know what? I bet he sounds like Nigel Thornberry. <gasps> <laughs> okay, now imitate that. Ah. Uh... <laughs> Let me find let me let me open up this issue. Let me see if I can get a line of dialogue and do this. This is the second time this has happened. Uh-oh. Well, stop bringing up Nigel well, Thornberry. Stop bringing up Nigel Thornberry. The capital of New Krypton could rise here, could it not? Now you have to do Nigel Thornberry. 
Mm. I think we, <laughs> I think we could just as easily clear the apes out of Metropolis and build there. Mm, indeed. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Why not? Mm. Shallow and pedantic. Mm. Mm. They're huh. such douchebags. Whatever you think. And then Superman says his thing, and he's like, mm, "Don't paint. Don't try to patronize." No, I'm, I'm getting southern. <laughs> <laughs> don't try to patronize me. We know who you are, son. It's it's like that's what I imagine they sound like. Yeah. Oh um, to be honest, I liked the first iteration better where it was like just their nose up in the air mm, and being indeed. a bit snobby. What I really like is they kind of they moved into his house, essentially. Yeah. Uh, he goes like, you're invading my fortress. And they're like, you shouldn't have left the key lying around. But yeah, so they they were actually out on an exploratory mission. Yeah. That's how they ended up at Earth while he was gone. Mm-hmm. They're trying to colonize metropolis and that's a little bit from the dialogue we read they're trying to move in and remake everything in krypton's image um and they basically think he's a fool superman's a fool for not doing the same Mm -hmm. they ridicule him for keeping candor in a bottle and they start to fight uh, they damaged the moon. They split so the moon in half they almost. They split the moon. And they staple it together with bridges. Bridges. Which is hilarious. Yeah. So that that was really funny, actually. Um, I don't think that happens in the movie. No, it doesn't. They just like, they they land on the moon and they think they crack it. Yeah. But they don't really split it. Yeah. And I think it's really funny, too, that like, um, Barrel and Lilo are like, oh crap, we should probably not let this explode because they know what will happen if a moon explodes or it goes like everything. Yeah. Um, and then there's a little bit of, um, we see Clark back at the Daily Planet. Yeah. And he does a little revenge on, do we know his name? I forget his name. I can't remember his name, but he's like, he's like Joey Tough Nuts essentially. Like, yeah. He's probably like the sports columnist. He's not really important other than for a good laugh. Like he tries to like light Clark's jacket on fire and then Clark gets his revenge by lighting his toupee on fire. And he, so like Barrel and Lilo find Clark and like they're talking to him like, get out here, stop hiding. And the sport, like Joey Tough Nuts thinks they're talking to him. Yeah. So that was also just a little call out that I thought was pretty funny because they can see through. They can tell that that's a Kryptonian man. Yeah. It's like, I can't believe you're hiding amongst them. Come out here and show your true colors. Yeah. And he's like, yo, I know you can confuse me with Superman, (laughs) but you got the wrong guy. I know I'm big and and tough and strong and everything, but I'm not Superman. And thank you, though. I get that all the time. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Basically, that's it. Um, so suddenly, just Lilo feels faint, and she starts falling to the ground. Mm. And there, you know, at whatever, hovering above whatever story of a tall skyscraper. So Lilo just starts plummeting to the earth, and Superman catches her and saves her. And typical Barrel fashion, he's pissed yep. that Superman inter- interacted with her. Um, get, she says, get your naked hands off of her. Um, and I think that might be a call out because they're wearing gloves. They're, they're wearing they're, everything they're is covered, covered on them except their face. Yeah, like everything. So they do not like that he his hands are exposed. Mm-hmm. And then Barrel tries to fight Superman, but then he feels weak as well. Mm-hmm. So Superman analyzes them and figures out that at some point in their travels they must have passed through a part of Krypton that had exploded. So they are laced with kryptonite. Yeah. It's just inside their system. There's no way to get it all out. Yeah. 
So he he puts him in with their permission. He puts him in the Phantom Zone. And actually, I love the next like the last page of this episode or this issue because they're just like standing over all of the denizens of the Phantom Zone, and you know they're just gonna take over. Oh yeah. And he Superman even says the Phantom Zone will have some law and order at last. Mm-hmm. So they're just gonna whip it up into shape. Yep. They. I mean, hey, they have to live there to stay alive, so yeah. they're gonna make it livable. Yeah. Issue ten. Superman is writing his will. He's dying. He knows that he's dying. They try to get um, the citizens of Kandor to like heal him because they're like microscopic almost. So he tries to get them to like, or not him, but Quintum tries to get them to go into his bloodstream and fight off what's happening, but they can't. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he essentially just goes to a children's hospital and lets them all like the citizens of Kandor just heal the children. Yep, because with all the advanced technology that Kandor has, they yep. can just do that. They can do that. It's great. Um Superman entrusts Quintum with his and Lois's DNA, which is how we get the descendants. Because that's a lot of thing. You're sitting here, you're reading this, and you're like, Superman's dying. How does he have descendants? Mm-hmm. Like even though it's only the one that we see is Cal Kent. And in the movie, Lois makes that remark. She goes, he kind of looks like my grandfather. Yeah, the, I, I liked that in yeah. the, uh, the movie. Yeah, they don't do that here. But the movie like, has a quick little jab, which is really nice. Um, and Superman makes a mini universe in the Fortress of Solitude. Why? I don't know. But he does. And it's implied that that mini universe is our Earth. Because you see the creation of Superman. Now it brings us to the final two issues. Which is... Uh, Lex's big plan after all. So now we have a superpowered Lex just tearing through Metropolis, which is like, um, it, it's so cool. Like, I love superpowered Lex going through Metropolis. His interactions with his niece are pretty funny when he yeah. first gets out of prison. Yeah. Um, his niece is just like a little badass with a lot of, you know, issues. Yeah, she is. But he just like he pushes down the door just because he can. Yep. And he like we see him super speed some super speed and create and make and fix up whatever he's doing to these um super robots. Yeah. That's and fair. so that way Nathalia or whatever her name is. I don't even know how to like pronounce Nathalia. her name. It's like Nathalia. It's a weird name. It's weird, but I just oh, I just wanted to say Natalia. Natalia. Okay. Yeah. There was some extra letters in There's there. There's a whole lot of extra letters. I was like, sure, Natalia. Um, There's so many extra letters that when I was Googling her earlier, it had to Google correct me. Yeah. Did you it's mean like, this? Where, yes. Where is her name actually written out here? Uh, Naz- so it's N-A-S-T-H-A-L-T-H-I-A. Nostalgia. 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 Okay. Nostalgia. That makes sense. It just got to sound it out. You have to take the time to sound it out. And like when you're reading and you're in the moment, I don't do that. Yeah, I don't think I do that much either. All right. So, Nostalgia. Nostalgia. That's going to be the whole. That's the rest of the. That's the rest of the. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Nostalgia. Nostalgia. Uh, it turns out that he has an ally in this fight against Superman. So Superman takes his army of super robots to go fight Solaris. And this is another really touching moment that did make it into the movie where 
um, they're fighting and they're kind of losing a little bit. And Robot 7 feels remorse for getting hacked, essentially, and sacrifices himself so they can get the final kind of blow going on. And then the Sun Eater shows up. Yes, the baby Sun Eater. The baby Sun Oh, baby Sun Eater. And it looks like, what are those things from Harry Potter? The Dementors. It looks like a Dementor, kind of, without the skeleton. It's just yeah. like a flowing kind of cape, the cape that turns into like tendrils. Yeah. Um, and you think everything's going to be awesome, amazing, mm, done. You know, Superman did it. I wish. On. My little baby Sun Eater um, dies. Baby Sun Eater dies. Not and that the... triggers oh, man. Superman. He is angry. Triggered. He beats the shit out of Solaris after that. He's done. Oh, yeah. He's actually much nicer in the comic book than he is in the movie. Yeah, you're right. And then that's pretty much it. So Clark runs into the office, right? He gets back dressed back in the Clark Kent, runs in. He goes, I have the fine, the big headline, passes out at his laptop. And it's the headline that we saw earlier where it's Superman dead. Mm-hmm. Looks a little different, though, than the book that Samson had. Yeah. Or the publication that Samson had. A little different. And then we have Lex with his glowing eyes, his goggles on his head, flowing cape. And it's it's just like, man, shit's going down. Yeah, now he's wearing the traditional uh, green and purple evil suit. Yep, he is. Evil scientist Lex suit. It's it's not like the power suit, though, because he doesn't need that. It's just that like evil scientist with a crazy collar. Look at that collar. It's like a Doctor Strange collar almost, just a little shorter. Yeah, it is. Like folded over. Clark fights Lex and uses the gravity gun to take him down. But what he does is he uses it in such a fashion that it speeds up time around Lex. So his superpowers run out in a couple hours instead of a couple instead of a day. Yeah. Lex goes, oh, you thought I was my only one? And like as in it was only vile. And Superman takes it away and punches the shit out of Lex. (laughs) And he's like cross-eyed in the other direction. It's really funny. Superman realizes what he has to do. He gives Lois one last kiss, takes off to the sun, and kind of reignites the sun almost. We then learn that Quintum, it's always Quintum. I always want to say Quantum every time. Quintum has been working on um, a Project 2 when the 2 is encased in the Superman logo. So he's working on a Superman, well, I, I guess prolonging superman's lineage he's working on the descendants yes no because he has the code because he has the code that's the end of the book what was different in the movie the major differences were just the issues that they left out yeah right so they left out jimmy turning into doomsday Mm -hmm. they left out the bizarro planet Mm -hmm. which was basically two issues yep so that's three so far, and they also, which we didn't, we breezed over mm-hmm. um, during Clark's uh, fainting spell. Oh yeah, as after when he fainted at the Daily Planet right after releasing the the headline, mm-hmm. um, he imagines his father Jor-El. Oh yeah. So he's like, because we're able to see inside his, of his consciousness, we're able to see what he's thinking about. As the, the time that he's resting. Yeah. In air quotes. Yeah. But because of just the way movie fashion is, we don't really see that. And yeah. that one, I completely agree with leaving out. Yeah. Like, sure. it wasn't needed. Like, there's other stuff happening. So we don't need to see his inner thoughts because, hey, he's just, you know, 
going there and thinking while he's dead. Yeah. The Jimmy one, okay. That was... Yeah, that makes sense. Lame. Yeah. Um, the Bizarro one, I would have liked to see. Really? I didn't really care for the Bizarro storyline. I don't know, but I... Like, I like Bizarro as like as a character. But, like, I don't know. It's just something about, like, more than one Bizarro's I just yeah. don't care for. It was weird, and the dialogue was really weird. Yeah, because they always talk in opposites. They talk in opposites, and they always say, me, me thinks. Yeah. And, like, instead of I, and so it is, it was very difficult to read that part. Yeah. But it was cool. And how, I don't remember, how does Clark disappears for six, or Superman disappears for six months in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's only two months in the comic because he's right. trapped on Bizarro World. Right. What happened to him in the movie? So he took off, is what they said. Like he, oh, what the hell did he? Oh, he found um, a place for Candor to set up shop. Right. He found a suitable world for Candor to set up shop. And he told Lois that like, this would normally take me like a couple hours, but I'm weak. It's going to take me way more than that. And he's gone for two months. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. Right? So there's so, there's little things that they change and manipulate and um, to to suit the movie purposes, but it doesn't change the overall story. No, it doesn't. Like you read this or you watch the movie and you you get the same content out of it. Yeah, it's very true to the origin, which is like very interesting because, like I, I was saying earlier. Literally the same creative team behind Earth 2, Justice League of America Earth 2. Literally the same guy adapting it. It's interesting, like, you can take... There's two different ways to adapt something. You can take the idea of something, like, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe does this a lot. You can take the idea of something, and it remains true to its source material, but it can be completely different, versus a straight adaptation, which is what this is. Straight. It it keeps it like I would say this is probably about eighty five percent accurate. Absolutely. Like they they took out some storylines, but what they took out they tried to like weave into a reason why Superman gets off the planet. They um, add a little bit more of a direct take, like with the Ultra Sphinx, where we see later it's the headline or like the the car uh, commercial. Ad. Yeah, the ad. But in the movie, it's immediately you see it. It's a blink and you miss it kind of thing mm-hmm. too, which is nice for like rewatching purposes. Um, how did, how did you like the voice acting in this, the casting? Well, like my reasoning for choosing this one, I thought Matthew K. Goobler was pretty cool as Jimmy. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what he sounds like, he is a little bit on the, the squeaky end. Yeah. Um, he's got a, very, a much higher voice for, um, a man. Mm. So it, I think it worked really well for Jimmy in this one because it was kind of, funny with him being a know-it-all yep and then but also being quirky because he was wearing like weird stuff he was also in five 500 days of summer that's where i know him from i'm staring at his face is like i don't watch criminal he's minds in 500 days of summer yeah the, that's the movie with zoe deschanel and joseph gordon levitt yep. right yep hi i don't remember him from that yeah he was in that he's um he does voice acting and then criminal minds that's yeah. basically what he does right now just because criminal minds has been on tv forever yeah, he's he's been on it for the entire time. Fourteen years. Yep. How old is he? Dear God, jeez, he's not that old. No, that's crazy. Yeah. Um. So we have James James Denton as Superman Clark Kent. That's what I was I was gonna ask, like, because I I'm, I was pretty sure it was James Denton yeah. from the, but I couldn't remember. I don't. He was fine. He was okay. It, he's not the best. It's tough when you like 
like I I've watched and I'm sure you've seen most, if not all of like Justice League and like Superman cartoon and stuff like that. And yes. like you think of like Tim Daly, Jim, um, George Newbern. And then you get someone else. You're like, I don't know. Yeah. And he's very close to that. He's just a little he's not as like loose with his performance. He's very like stiff. Yeah. I agree with that. I just like I never know what it is. Yeah. It's always just like, eh, yeah, it wasn't my favorite. Yeah. Uh, you have Christina Hendricks, as we were saying earlier, as Lois Lane, which I thought was great. Yeah. I thought she, she was really great. good. Um, Lex Luthor was Anthony. I can never say pronounce his last name. La Paglia. Yeah. So I don't know how to say his name either. La Paglia. I think I only said La Paglia. La Paglia. That sounds better. Um, so throwback to another crime drama serial yeah. he was in without a trace. Do you know what else he was in? What? Uh, the hit 90s movie Empire Records. Oh, yeah. He was Joe. Uh, and that, honestly, if you have not seen that movie, do yourself so a favor. Good. It's so good. Uh, Ed, Edward Asner as Perry White. Perfect. Like, what, is, what else is he in? Oh, he's like, if you saw his face, you, would, I, you would know him. That sounds so familiar. But see, Greg does way more research, and he's also sitting in front of the so computer you right will, now. I'm not Googling anything. What are you talking about? I, <laughs> I know all remember. this information off the top of my head. Uh, he was Carl from Up. Oh, okay. It was what like you would probably best know him as, but he's been yeah. around forever. Like yeah. He's done a lot, and he's like still kicking. Yeah, as you can tell, I always pull from the TV shows that they were in. So like yep. James Denton, Desperate Housewives. Yeah, um, <laughs> yep. I saw that on there. That's me. I'm more of a, a TV analyzer. Yeah, he's he's done mostly, it looks like. He was on an episode of Criminal Minds oh. in 2015. He's also in The Good Wife. I don't watch The Good Wife. I did. I'm with not your, ashamed to admit that. With your wife? With my wife. <laughs> did it willingly, though. <laughs> Um, that was the first time I saw Mike Coulter, who was Luke Cage. He was in that show. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also are going to have Steve Blum, who is just classic uh, voice actor. Mm-hmm. He was Atlas and Sam Lane and an astronaut. Do you know who Nestholith? I can't do it. Nestholithia. Not going to work here anymore. You know who that? Do you know who Nestholithia was? Voice was no. Linda Cardellini. Should I know who that is? You should. If you've seen any of the Scooby-Doo remakes. <gasps> if you've seen Freaks and Geeks. Okay. She was also. Yeah, because whenever yeah. I see her, I go, You're Velma. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know her real name, yep. but now I do. That's her. And the last name that I'll kind of say is who plays Dr. Leo Quintum. And I picked this out immediately. Alexis Denioff. Oh my Wesley God. Wyndham Price. I am so Buffy ashamed. Fame. I heard that voice and I was like, is that Wesley? I am so ashamed I didn't pick it up. <laughs> it's him. Now I'm going to rewatch the movie knowing yep. that. Yep. I, I think um, this is one of the better casts for voice acting. Like they mix traditional voice actors with, you know, more um, screen actors, yes. which is really nice. And every almost everyone does a really good job. Superman, I am a little on the fence on, but everyone else was pretty solid, especially Wesley. I really liked <laughs> I liked his performance. Um, the art style of the movie did, was it? Did it stay true to the comic? Do you feel? Yeah, I think so. You think so? I don't know. I don't think it did. I'm. 
I think, and, and Earth 2 did the same thing as well. Frank Quietly is a very interesting art style. Yeah. He's very, like, soft lines, soft yeah, edges. Yeah, there's a lot of line edges, yeah. Yeah, like, and you can't really do that in animation that well. Um, I feel like if they don't know what they want to do, they just stick to what Bruce Tim and Paul Dini did with all, like, the Batman animated series and Justice League animated series. It's like it's just kind of like that, but a little different. Superman has those uncomfortable lips throughout the whole. Yeah, <laughs> his lips are really weird. Like, why is it? What's going on? Which do you prefer, the movie or the books? That's a tough question. Tough. That's a tough one because I, I think the, the movie is easier to digest. I agree with that. Yeah. See, I'm always, I usually feel bad if I pick a movie over a book when the book was the original, just because there's always more detail. Yeah. Um, but I think I want to go with the movie okay. on this one. Why? Um, because like you said, the, some of the smaller changes, like there was like the, there was some unnecessary filler yeah. in the comic book and that's because it's, it is, it's structured 12 issues that mostly stand alone yep. but create an overarching story the movie meshes them together a little bit better like bringing in um placing candor finding mm-hmm. it a suitable planet and then that's the reason why he's gone instead of adding in a whole extra element for bizarro I don't know. It was one of those things where like I was reading out like all the bizarros and I was like, I just don't care about this. Yeah. What like I want to kind of point out is it took three years, almost exactly three years for 12 issues of this to come out. Really? So the publication date was from November 2005 to October 2008. Wow. Now, if you want to do the math, if you don't want to do the math, I'll tell you right now. Traditionally speaking, a comic comes out once a month. Yeah. Right? For like one series or one whatever. So this was delayed almost three times. Wow. So I'm wondering if like maybe there's some deadlines missed or there's just something where it's like we just got to like throw in some something to get something get like a publication out there and that's not uncommon for the all-star books i remember um all-star batman also or all-star batman and robin i should say also was delayed quite a bit okay so i'm wondering if that is kind of in there but like the bizarro stuff i read i was like i just it's too long it's two issues i really don't care there's no and there was no real purpose to it afterwards yeah other than to get him off the planet. Yep. Um, I'm going to say that I like the book better, not just so I can be that guy, but I did really like the whole going back in time story arc where he, where the unknown Superman is revealed to be just normal present day Superman. Yeah. That was really cool. Like I can see why that was cut ultimately and they still had like the never dying flower like they just had clark visit his father's grave and his mother show up for like that one scene but i just really liked how ridiculous the villain was in the book how they had like a mixies pitlick mixies plitlick version of superman which is hilarious and i like seeing all the different powers and stuff like that too but this was a very it's a very close call because they're ultimately almost the same exact story like there's very few differences which is what like an I guess an adaptation can be and should be. 
I was very shocked at the lack of differences. Yeah, right? Very shocked. Right? Like I was I so I hadn't read this book in probably 5 or 6 years at least. It's been a while, maybe even more. I'm thinking about it. And I definitely the movie came out in 2011. And I saw it when it came out. And I didn't go back and rewatch it. So it's it's been that one's been oh shit. When did I read the book? This is this is a nice segment. I like to call it Greg feels old all of a sudden. Yep. So I probably it's 2019. It's 2019. So I seen this movie about seven or eight years ago. So that means I probably read the book about ten to fifth, ten to twelve years ago. I'll say roughly. Yeah. <sighs> I hadn't seen it since, and it was like, I read the book, and I remembered little bit, bits and pieces. I forgot about Unknown Superman completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I did remember the... Actually, the one I remembered most was the jail scene. When I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this now. It was a it was a good scene. It was. Very memorable. Yeah. On a scale of 1 to 10, what would you rate the book? I don't know. I don't have a lot of things to compare it to. Okay. Well, I don't know. It's like, not, like not comparing to like other comic books, but just like in terms of story, story and artwork. General, and, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna go with a seven. Okay, solid. I'll give it like a seven and a half, eight. Solid. What about the movie? Still, like in comparison to some other things, like I know just story. Hold on. Yeah. Um, well, the the honestly. You know what? This is bad. So I should pick the book. Yeah. As being my favorite because I would give the movie a six. You make no sense. I know I don't make sense. <laughs> that makes no sense, Lisa. It uh, doesn't. But see, now I'm just like I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever rewatch that movie. Well, I guess I guess if you think about it in a different way, if you think about it as like you probably enjoyed the movie more than the book. Yeah. But there's more elements to the movie than the book for example there's animation style mm-hmm. there's voice acting there is um music yeah and that's what i'm thinking about design. i'm thinking about like the animation like superman's lips like you called so out were just we're They're weird so puckered all the time and who's he smooching all the time lois isn't in it that much that yeah right um lois i think is pretty accurate to the Lois is pretty accurate to the comic book version of her, but it's not my favorite Lois. Yeah. Actually, is she? Does she have bangs in the movie? Oh, I don't remember. I'm a guy. I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. Greg is actually very... He notices hair in real life. I do. You do? I do. Um, Only when it's washed, though. Yeah. Which is the she doesn't have... She has like a typical like Jennifer Love Hewitt. Is what I'll call it. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I just like because I always think back to the classic Superman cartoon. Yeah. And that's what I hold everything to, and sure. I just don't think it was as good. Sure. Yeah, and like, it's really hard not to make those comparisons because that's what you know, and it was so well done, and it did adapt from the source material, but it, then it took it off the deep end and made its own thing out of it too, which is really cool and really interesting. So I think that's going to be a common uh not denominator but like a common thought as we go as i kind of and we go through a lot of this stuff and me and you the listener this is the part where i address the listener uh where we go through and watch and read all these things i think we're going to hear a lot more of that 
until it gets to Under the Red Hood. Because Under the Red Hood is the best adapted one ever. Okay, I'll have to read and watch that one as well. Mm-hmm. That I'm one. actually, I'm probably, I'm going to be. That one's already the- booked. No, I don't mean that I'm going to be on it. I'm just going to be the biggest fan of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's probably accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to like go along with it. Okay, next week he's doing this one. This one so this I one. have to read and watch before it goes live or next. They have two weeks to do it. The, <laughs> Whatever the, the schedule is for this is only week two. <laughs> it's every other week is what I'm hoping for right now. I'm not doing weekly. I already do a show like that. So listen, any last thoughts before? Before we wrap before up. Before we for wrap the up for the night. No, I don't. I think we got it all out there. We got it all out there. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me this episode. You're welcome. Hopefully we can get you back for another one. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see how this one turns out. Adapt This, a DC Animated Universe podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Be sure to check out all of the wonderful podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. Geek Generation.